Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Kickback with Nadam. He is I, and I am him, and I am blessed again to have the presence of my cousin Yudi in the studio. How are you, my guy? What up? What up? I'm good. How are you? How you doing, mate? Yeah, good. You sound a bit funny. Is everything all right? Uh, leave me alone. All right. I decided. I decided to go outside with some friends yesterday, and now I'm I'm suffering. I'm a little hungover, but other than that, I'm doing great. Other than that, yeah. Other than the fact you feel terrible, you're doing great. Yeah, yeah. Other than the fact that I can tell my my body's been poisoned, I'm doing absolutely fine. <laughs> so you saying you can't handle drink yet? Listen, I was getting too old for this nonsense. That's the... How old are you now? It was your birthday the other day, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm 32. 32. Nice, nice, yeah, nice, yeah. nice, nice. Still childish. Can't handle your own drink. However, listen, cool. Fair listen. enough. That's. I think that's the cutoff. 32 is the cutoff point where you should stop drinking tequila. If anybody's wondering, that's my official advice. Okay. Okay. Well, I've got um. I've got something to ask you today. Yeah. But before I do that, I need to say uh, this weekend, uh, on Sunday, the 1st of August at 3 p.m., I'll be playing in a football match, an 11-a-side football match. And it's for Dom's Food Mission. It's a charity game that will be taking place at Dorking Wanderers Football Club. So if anybody's interested in going, have a look on the social media because there'll be some information there. And the social media is kickback underscore Nadem. And that is on Twitter and on Instagram. If you're interested, it's all for a good cause. And if you want to see 22 retired gentlemen thinking that they've still got it, this is this is perfect for you. Are you going to go to that, Yud? I'll be there. I'll be there. I've got a couple of friends coming too. So, yeah. Oh, pressure's on. Pressure's on. <laughs> I, I need you though. I need you to heckle me though so I feel like I'm normal again. Just right. heckle me from the sides. Is there anything, anything in particular you want me to throw your way or can I just get creative? Uh, I don't know. I guess just be creative. Right, just be cool. creative. Yeah, I've got that. Yeah. I've got that. No problem. But just understand though, like you may see some familiar faces, um, like Anton Ferdinand's and people like that, but just know that like in terms of all around health, it's not it's not the uh <laughs> it's not, not the most fluid <laughs> bunch of people on that field. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, to today's show, yeah, here's the thing for you. So I recorded it with Steve McLaren, former England manager Steve McLaren, mm-hmm. and he managed me or he coached me at QPR in two thousand in twenty thirteen. Yeah. And there was one thing which I thought was interesting, and I want, to, I want to know your take on this. An international manager's job in England, yeah? If you are successful and successful regardless, yeah. should it be harder or easier to find work after you leave that position? It's a very, very good question. Um, so I think contextually, right, taking out individuals, I, I think it, it should be realistically on paper you'd, you'd think it would be easier but you know it's a game of opinions <laughs> but who, <laughs> it's a game of opinions shut up <laughs> um but with that though I, the thing i thought was interesting is that some of these well most of these managers they tend to have done well at club level yeah to be part of the conversation for international level but then when they go to international level how many international managers for england specifically have you thought afterwards yeah they're going to go on to do a to go and to have lots of opportunities somewhere else. And obviously, you know, we can talk about success, but what is success if you're an England manager? Yeah. It's a, it, again, it's a great question. I think like that's, it's, it's tough. That's tough to say. It's tough to answer. If I don't know if you've noticed, but like um, I'm firmly wedged on this fence at the moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I do see your point. I think like, I think that perception is key. And when you are England manager as well, I think you open yourself up to more public perception than when you do when you're a club manager at like a club level, even though obviously the game is very international. It's more 
the like the fans, the people involved in your local area, your local community that support that club that are invested in you as a manager at that time. When you move into the national position, then all of a sudden you're under like scrutiny from the whole nation, and that can be a lot to take. And that perception might sometimes affect how the media and how other people make it easy or difficult for you to take that next step. I think so. Oh, look at you! All your media training is paying off. Look at you saying nothing for two minutes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I was hoping you'd pick up on that. <laughs> That's very impressive. But let me take you down a particular avenue now before um, before we get into the show. And also for everybody listening, let me know what you think about those questions. You know, I, like I said, the handle is kickback underscore Nadem on Instagram and Twitter. And I do really care about what you think about this because it's very, very interesting. So the question I have for you, Udi, to draw you off the fence. If you assume there are 20 managerial spots available, mm. say in the Premier League, Adding an England with a 21 spot as a head coach and an England first team uh, head coach spot. Yeah. Where would you rank the England head team spot in terms of positions of true status and success? So you're talking about 22 positions then? Yes. And from that one to 22. Um, again, that's t- so like state, you said status and success. You just want my opinion. As in the type of, job which everybody would be fighting for oh right realistically (laughs) i don't know i'd say like maybe breaks the top 10 oh wow imagine (laughs) 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 well that's um that's that's one way to uh to end the intro so yeah uh let me again let me know what you guys think because it's a it's an interesting one it's a very interesting one because it seems like a position which everybody seems to want or at least pretend to want but then they're more than happy and sometimes continue with their club careers and maybe I can see why. And let me know what you think. But anyway, here's this week's episode with the former England manager, Steve McLaren. So let, let's let's begin. And um, the thing I want to ask first is that, did you know it's just been over 20 years since you first got your, you got your first managerial position? Yeah, right. Yeah, June, June in 2001 how do you feel um i always remember i was yeah you're absolutely right 40 years old then i always remember i used to go watch uh, don howe when i was at oxford he used to i mean a legendary coach don howe um arsenal england um legend and i used to go down to newbury town and he coached newbury town Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, and it was just down the road. And I used to go watch him coach Newbury Town and have a cup of tea, coffee with him after, and chew the fat and and get to know him a bit. And he always said to me, um, Steve, I was about, I was mid-30s, I think, at the time, itching to get into management. And he said to me, don't manage till you're 40. Okay. Learn everything about coaching. Okay. And then 40 then you'll be ready. Okay. And name enough, my 40th birthday, yeah, I got the the job and, and yeah, 20, 20 years, wow. Yeah. Can't say it's flown by. You know. <laughs> <laughs> There's been many ups and downs. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But we're going to go through that. But the starting point for me, which you've just alluded to there, was how was it that then that during your career you thought that management was going to be the right thing for you? Like, what were you like as a player? Were you somebody who really respected managers, would be like the manager's pet, or were you a bit different to that? 
No, I, was, I think, you know, I, came, I grew up in an era where the boss was the boss. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, what he, what he said, you did. Uh, and if you didn't, you didn't play. Right. So it was, yeah, know your job, do your job. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're in trouble. Yeah. Got told. So there was a lot of honesty, a lot of, uh, uh, a, a lot of banter, and 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 it 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 was, yeah, it was that era that you 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 kind of had to, you know, the boss was the boss, and I, I, you had instant respect for them, yeah. whether you didn't like them, whether you thought they were good, bad, or indifferent, you had respect because that's how you were brought up. Mm-hmm. You were brought up in your parents, your elders, and uh, and that went in football, especially, you know, being green behind the ears at 16 years old, as you know, and mm-hmm. going into apprenticeship and into a dressing room which was totally different than dressing rooms are nowadays. Yeah. Uh, you didn't want to go in the dressing room with the senior players mm-hmm. You didn't want to do that. Uh, you didn't want to get go into the office no. and uh, and see the and see the manager. You knew you're in trouble. The yeah. only time you went in was at the end of the season. Pop your head around the door and he says, "Yeah, you got another contract for a year." Yeah, and there's a five pound rise. Take it or leave it. And <laughs> just uh, you know, there wasn't the pressure. It was just go out and play. And you were pleased to play and pleased to get a contract and. And uh, and and your job was to please the manager. You know, with all due respect, you are showing your age there. When you talk about a five pound rise, I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, okay, five pounds, five pounds. So enough for me a five pound rise for anything today. I'll be like, uh, no, you'll be all right. You you keep hold of that, and I'll uh, I'll do something else. How about that? <laughs> Recently cleared the loft out, and I found uh, my first first or second professional contract. Okay. And it, it was thirty pound a week, and the wow. next year was thirty five pound a week. So, wow. yeah, and come a long way. Yeah, a no, pair of yeah, no doubt. And with all that being said, then um, it's did you ever play at the highest level in your career? No, I didn't. Um, I was uh, just like I was just an average player. Uh, wasn't really quick, couldn't run. I was more of a thinker, more of okay. a passer, one and two touch, sat in the middle of midfield. Mm-hmm. Used to be box to box, but very slowly. <laughs> and graduated going backwards, and you know, I was ended up, you know, sat in front of centre backs, you know, like yourselves, needing that. Position, and what, I was uh, the man. To- well, you say needed. You say needed. I said, you know, it's always nice when you're there. I wouldn't say needed, but if you want to come back and support us, I'm more than happy to, you know, have someone screen in front of me. It's not always no, needed. No. Adam, you know, two centre backs <laughs> need. <laughs> Yeah, you, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. So in, throughout your career then, who, which manager do you think had the sort of biggest influence on you as a player and maybe the guy who made you want to go into coaching and go into management? Um, I, I would have said it's quite interesting because we used to play 4-4-2. Every team played 4-4-2. Mm-hmm. So you would look at the fixtures and you would know that 4-4-2, you play Millwall on Saturday, Four four two, and you knew your opponent. Yeah, it was very much one against one, and you knew your opponent. You didn't, you didn't venture much from either. Either was either right side midfield or left side, yeah. and so you always knew. And you know, it's the likes of Terry Herlock used to play for Millwall. What a hard man he was! Mm. What a oh, he was. He was tough, and you knew six weeks before 
if he's fit, you're going to play against Terry Herlock. <laughs> You've got game. So it was quite easy. Always one against one. So it was quite simple to coach. Mm. And players generally teams were on were on ability rather than coaching and and oh, this and we're going to do that. We're going to change this. Going to change that. But the 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 one thing I generally thought players when I played went out to play until we got a, a manager in Colin Appleton who actually gave me a job to do mm-hmm. and um, he said this is your job when you when you have the ball we used to have two centre forward I want you to hit I want you to put the ball in the channel mm-hmm. so we put the ball in the channel and I want you to do that every time and amazing because I put the ball in the channel and whereas sometimes no one was in the channel, he taught the striker that once it was coming near my foot, he's got to run in the channel. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the game was being coached and you were being told what to do. That went to a further one, I remember, with Arthur Cox when I moved to Derby County. And he got me a job. And my job was we played with a left winger, Jeff Chandler, and my job was to give the ball to the winger. When you win it, son, give the ball to the player, mm-hmm. give the ball to Jeff Chandler, give it to the... So it was a really, really simple game plan. Mm-hmm. You overrun your opponent, he doesn't overrun you. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because you've said a name there, which has now linked the two of us, because I was also coached by Arthur Cox. So even though you're, you're 60 and I'm somewhere in my 30s, somewhere in and around there, you know, there's, ah. there's, there's that link. We've both still been taught by the same people. But, um, so you go into coaching then, I think it was your first year in 95 with Derby County. Is that right? Does that ring any bells? And, yeah. and you, um, you had a quite, you had a quiet first year, you know, gaining promotion to the Premier League, just, just like that. So coaching is now the easiest thing in all the world to do. And you're a significant part of that. But what was, what exactly was an assistant manager's role or a coach's role in the mid-90s, say, for a team that's trying to get to the Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I had a great apprenticeship because I was at Oxford um, for about four years previous to that. When I was 31, I finished playing. I became player coach. And I had four years of learning my trade, uh, being the youth and reserve coach, um, experimenting, learning everything about coaching from X's and O's, game plans, situations. Used to go watch Glenn Oddle, Ozzy Ardiles mm. over at They played a diamond three at the back, looking at different systems. So I had an apprenticeship where I quietly got on with coaching and learned quite a lot about coaching. And that experience, um, when I went to Derby, stood me in great stead. But as you know, um, being an assistant and working. It depends who you work for. I've been very, very lucky, very fortunate that, that my first kind of manager that I was assistant to was Jim Smith. Uh, and Jim was old school, rough and tough, mm-hmm. Yorkshire, Sheffield. And he was old school, very gruff, very honest, knew the game inside out, great experience. And, um, you know, probably lost his legs, didn't want to coach and needed young legs to, to coach. And I and we joined together, didn't really know each other. And uh, we became a great partnership. And I think that that was the partnership. And he was tough. He was tough on the players, but he was also tough on the staff. Okay. The first day I went in and 
and uh, first day's training, and he says, "What you got? What you got, Stevie? What we got today? What we got today?" And I showed the flip chart and I said, "We've got this. We warm up with this possession." Phase of play, finish with a game and things. He said, rubbish, Steve, absolute rubbish. <laughs> and I looked at him, I went, oh, my God. And, you know, I, I said, he said, rubbish. I said, what, what else have you got? I said, well, I, I, I ain't got anything else. Well, you better get something quick, son, because that ain't good enough. Wow. Okay. And so the next day I came in and he said, Steve, what you got today? And I showed him my flip chart again. I said, well, we got this, 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 and this. And he said, Rubbish, Stevie. Rubbish. Don't want that today. Wow. And I turned over the flip chart and I said, oh, I've got plan B, look. <laughs> what about this, this, this and this? And he went, hmm, a bit better, but mm, don't like that, don't like that. Okay. I said, plan C here, look. And I've got this and this. Ah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> My first lesson, mm. I had to please him and I had to be – I had to be on the ball. Yeah. Because if I wasn't on the ball, he would have me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's The play similar. Yeah, that's, uh, that's so interesting. And do you know for some managers or head coaches, do you think they can be successful if they don't have a good team around them? Or do you think everything is really that, that unity, basically in terms of each person carrying their weight with their roles in the team? Look, the most successful I've been is when I've had good people working around me. Uh, we'll probably come to Middlesbrough, and that was so important, the first managerial role, mm-hmm. uh, and getting four people around me, and we were a strong team of five. Wherever I've been and been successful, um, I've had good people around me, and people who, who did the jobs, could do the jobs, helped me. Um, and and when, I've had, <laughs> when I've been unsuccessful and haven't done a good job, I've generally not, not gelled with the coaching staff. I've mm-hmm. generally... Um, found that that difficult. Either I've not taken the person, or or I've been. You get the job, but mm-hmm. you staff. Yeah, and that's difficult. But when you've got somebody at the side of you, you can trust. And and you know, we've with me and Jim, especially the first three months, we we're in a hotel together, and we ended up like really, we ended up like father and son in terms of our relationship. We were that close and that on sync with each other, that we were, we were, we were great for each other. Mm-hmm. And very rare you get that. But I always believe, you know, a manager, and assistant, and I always talk to every coach and wants to be a manager. I said, fine, great, do it. Make sure you get the right stuff around you. And generally it comes in twos. Mm-hmm. I give, you know, Gareth, Gareth Southgate is a fantastic example. I went to watch him at St. George's Park. He was doing a demonstration day, him and Steve Holland. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Gareth missed the morning. Steve Holland took over, did the video, then Steve Holland did the coaching in the afternoon. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Him at the end for the talk, and um, he taught the importance of Steve Holland in terms of him, and it showed that day that he was, that, that he needed, he was the manager and he needed someone to do the work on the field by his guidance. Mm-hmm. Did that together. And myself and Jim did that. You know, when I worked with Sir Alex also and, and Spen, that's what we kind of had. And, you, you know, you experienced that a little bit with uh, with Harry, Harry Redknapp, when I was there for a few months with uh, QPR. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to have a relationship. You have to gel. You have to be on the same page. And you have to get on. 
Okay, so with that being said then, how do you end up trading in Jim Smith for Sir Alex Ferguson? How does that move come about? And why do you think they chose you to take over that role as assistant? Yeah, I, I always asked him that, uh, um, uh, the gaffer. I always call him the gaffer because he is the gaffer. Yeah. And and I said, you know, it was it was remarkable because, yeah, we'd had success at Derby and I'd been innovative and, you know, pros on, analytics, massage chairs, mm-hmm. fitness coach. So we were into everything, yoga, everything, the lot. And uh, and we were successful into the championship, new stadium, Pride Park, stayed in the division, finished seventh, highest they've ever finished in there, uh, you know, since they were winning leagues with Brian Clough. So it was, um, you know, I suppose I was getting recognised but didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a journalist all of a sudden said, you know, you're in for, do you know, you're going to get a call soon for a <laughs> manager at Manchester United. I said, you're ridiculous. And there it was Saturday night call from the gaffer and the following Tuesday um, talking to him was at, uh, was at Old Trafford joined him on the Thursday hotel on the Friday meeting the players which you know would be daunting uh, yeah. Saturday Knox Forest sat in the dugout we won 8-1 and I'm <laughs> in Monday morning what the hell do I <laughs> so is that one of those phone calls then where like whatever he says is going to is going to go like if he says right you're going to come in you're going to work for me there's no like well I'll get, get back to you it's like yep that's exactly what I'm going to do even at that stage of his career would you say yeah without without in, in fact we it was strange on the Tuesday we played Manchester United um, so I was in the dugout with Jim and I knew that um, the gaffer was going to was going to pull Jim after the game yeah Got back to Pride Park about two, two in the morning after the game and uh, Jim pulled me in his office and I knew. And he said, well, you, you know what you know what I'm going to tell you, don't you? And I said, yeah, yeah Jim. You had, yeah, I had a word with him. I had a word with him. I had a word with him. Do you want me to drive you there tomorrow? <laughs> and, and he was fantastic about it. You know, he wanted me to make the move. He knew how big a move it was and he knew he'd been a part of that and he just said, Steve, off you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Okay. So with the, that early game success, obviously they won something special. But even in that, by the end of that first year, you've won a treble. So I've got so many questions about that sort of era for Manchester United. And the first one I want to ask really is like, what made that team or the club at that point so special? Was it like Sir Alex? Was it a combination? What, like, what was it? It started with him, the gaffer. Um he wanted everybody uh, to be moulded like him. Um, he wanted them to to fight and to work hard and to give hundred percent. And he, he'd have nobody in that dressing room who didn't believe in that. That's why they always won in the last ten minutes. Mm. Uh, they never lost; always ran out of time. That was a famous saying mm. um, when I worked there. It started with him. And the rest followed, and especially the leaders of the uh, of the dressing room. And, and as you know, some unbelievable leaders: uh, Roy Keane, Gary Neville, Yap Stam, Dennis Irwin, Ryan Giggs, you know, Butty. There were so many Ronnie Johnson. There were so many leaders there that, that it was it was it was a uh, it was war going in every day. Mm. They were so competitive. They were so competitive. It, it, 
and and all I did is, is you know with with the training is I made every day very very intense very competitive mm-hmm. all a loser and always a punishment for the loser mm-hmm. and and they loved that mm-hmm. that was that was what they wanted. So it wasn't a lot of tactical play. I worked a little bit with the back four and made sure that we kept clean sheets because the gaffer demanded that in the last 10 games of the season. So we focused a little bit on that. But we did a lot of one-on-one work, two-on-two work. Everything was competitive. Mm-hmm. And the players loved that. You know, they, they wanted to train as they played on a Saturday. And... Um, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why it worked. Um, maybe one of the reasons why the gaffer chose me. Um, but but certainly, you know, every day was, they, they tested, you know, they tested you every day. So I had a good good apprenticeship with Jim, mm-hmm. like that day. Well, that's rubbish, Steve. That's, no, that's, t- yeah. I had to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't prepared, and I used to stay up till two or three in the morning, the, the night before, preparing for every training session. Whether that's the beginning, the middle, and the end. And the end was worse because they never wanted to go in. So yeah. I always had them a little bit extra. Yeah. Um, you know, the first five months, and, and I say to this day, you know, they were the toughest five months in football that, that I've ever had. Okay. You know, you, you said something there, which is like loose, loosely triggered me. And the way that you talk about that United team for all the talent that they had, the core of it is mentality. You talk about training every single day as if it's a game day. You talk about giving 100%. You talk about this, that and the other. And I feel like people from the outside think that that is just the norm that's happening everywhere within football. No, But it's not. And I used to ask myself the question, well, why is it not? Because it doesn't require skill to do that. It requires the right attitude. And when, as every year passes, I hear more and more stories, especially this, like the likes of this one, where you talk about a team that was so dominant, but their attitudes from Monday through Friday were better than most of the teams they were playing against and teams that still are around now and individuals within teams around now who haven't got anywhere near the amount of success that they've had. Because at United, you think, oh, it could be easy because they've got the talent. But these teams, same with City, same with Liverpool, same with United and all this, like they're 100% all the time and that sounds like the best environment to be playing in because you know every day matters so why like why is it not more common and you know use um as a manager as well when you go into that head coach role and you see people who don't have that same sort of attitude but then don't also have that same level of ability like how would that make you feel yeah it's it's <laughs> frustrating in coaching and managing is is that's the word frustration and you need patience and you know, just experiencing that for five months, and and you know when you've been in successful teams, uh, the dressing room is different. Yeah, the men in that dressing room, you you know, you looked at that QPR. I know in the end you went up, but you know I, I saw in the first three months that team being built. Yeah, yeah, and it was men. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it was. was proper men. Mm-hmm experienced yeah. and knew what it took to win and knew that they had to cajole each other, whatever it was, yeah. and best out of each other. Yeah. When you've got that, it's you only get that very rarely in your career. Mm-hmm. Two or three times, and I've had it two or three times. The best, Manchester United, it's 
that dressing room was phenomenal. And it's just the, the competitiveness. Why? But but in every sport, Nedim, you know it, in every sport, there's always, always the top 5% who excel, mm-hmm. who become number one, mm-hmm. stay number one. And you know what it takes to be that top 5%. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. It, there's, there's a great book out at the present moment. I got it on my desk, Tim Grover. It's called Winning. And he describes winning. And and he, he actually, one of the quotes is, you know, winning puts you on the biggest stage and then turns all the lights out. Yeah. Not many people can take that continuously. And it's the resilience to come back from that. Mm. That's what these players have, mm. that they're just so focused that, to be that focused and, and you either you either want to be a player or you want to be a proper footballer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too many want to just be a player. Mm-hmm. Out a nice, great life, be a player. Yeah. Some want to be the best. Yeah. And someone who wants to be the best, they're only the top 5%. Mm-hmm. And that's any sport. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate. I had the top 5% in one dressing room. And they didn't just win one year, which is the key to it, Nedham. Yeah. So I was there for three years. They won the league every year. Yeah. First, the first year by one point, the second year by 17 points, and the third year by 19 points. Mm -hmm. How would you do that every season? Yeah. And that only coming from the top, from the gaffer, who straight away won the treble. Next day we were in bacon butties, cup of coffee, cup of tea, in the canteen. Staff, put your medals away. What are we going to do next season? That's awesome. And that's the difference. Yeah. I've never, I've never experienced that, that, that since. Once or twice a little bit. But when you get it, oh, it's like it's gold. Yeah. Gold. That's, that's awesome. Like, you know, you mentioned the QPR team when we got promoted, but for me, a big example that I saw was I actually left City halfway through the season where they won the league for the first time. And I looked around me there and I saw some of the best players I'd ever seen, but also some of the hardest workers, some of the most driven people I've ever seen as well. And when you go out there, you couldn't just hide and just go through a day because there was somebody who would be giving you a kick up the backside for all the talent they have, like a Vincent Company or something or someone like that playing centre-back or a Jolene Lescott, Gareth Barry's, Carlos Tevez's, you know, David Silva's working hard, Eddie Zeko's, like they were everywhere, front to back, relentless. If you went out with the wrong mentality, you'd look like the worst player on planet Earth. Yeah, and I yeah, thought yeah. to myself, that's going on there, but then now I'm somewhere else or I'm X where, and I don't have the ability of those people, but I can match their work rate. But when I look around at people who maybe have more ability than me that don't match my work rate, I'm thinking, well, what are they trying to achieve? Because if they think that they can get to the top the way that they are, they'll never make it there. And if they do, it's going to be the biggest shock to the system. But anyway, I've gone on a little sideways tangent right there. I'm stopping. I'm stopping uh, uh, no, time. no, no. It sends goose pimps, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. When you think of the, the top teams you've played in, and yeah. that, and you go, wow, you describe it there. It gives me, gives me goosebumps. You Incredible, know? yeah. Like they were ruthless. Like those, that's the way to describe it. Some of those guys in there were ruthless. Like they knew they were teammates but they were going to battle together all the time. It wasn't going to just play a game of football. They were going to battle together to win, to win together, to work hard, to do your jobs. They'd shout at each other. like, And it wouldn't be a thing. They'd get over it because it's all designed to go and win. Best example, another example again, 
was playing with someone like Craig Bellamy, who lots of people hate from the outside. But when you understand where he's coming from, you understand why he has the edge that he has because he's trying to bring out the best in you. And I don't think his methods are necessarily the best, but I understand what he's trying to get to. But anyway, your time then, you go from Manchester United to taking a full-time head coach job at Middlesbrough. And to say it was an event for five years would be an understatement. You know, the club got its first major trophy. I think it's his first time in Europe as well. And UEFA Cup final. But as you were getting ready for that first season, what did you want to be like as a head coach? Because you must have had an idea like, this is how this is how I'm going to now lay the tracks for the rest of my managerial career. Like, what did you want to be? Yeah, interesting. I, I asked the gaffer before I left, you know, can you give me any tips? And one of the things he said, just, just be you. Just be you. He said, don't try to be me. Don't try to be Jim Smith. Don't try to be anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and, that's what I. That's what I try to do, you know. Um, and it's difficult, Ned, when when you haven't played at the top level, highest level, and and you haven't got that experience and that belief behind you that you've played in the top, the best games, and you've got that respect from everybody, mm-hmm. everywhere, or you feel a little inferior, and you feel everywhere you go in every situation that you have to prove yourself because you haven't got the stature. You know, I see Wayne Rooney now working with him and he's, you know, he stands at the front of the room and he comes into the room and he goes on the train and, and you go, forth. Oh, is Wayne Rooney, you know. Mm-hmm. We better take a look at this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's Steve McLaren. Oh, well, you know, he's got to prove something now. So yeah. you have to prove something all the time. So, so that, but, you know, move, I... I Got great lessons from from Jim. I got great lessons from the gaffer in, in terms of and what, like we all do, we want to create that Manchester United dressing room and and you know the the key thing is creating an environment and a culture which you want and the environment and culture which I want is I want everybody, including every player, whether he plays or not, is in the squad or whatever. Every member of staff wants to get up in the morning and go. Oh, I'm glad I'm going there. Yeah. I'm glad I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to enjoy this. And I wanted everybody, you know, I used to say to the staff, I want everybody coming through that door in the morning with a smile, looking forward to work. And I want everybody to leave at the end of the day and go, mm-hmm. yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of culture that I wanted to to get. Now, I used to think, because I come from that dressing room, that it's, ah, that will happen again. No. Mm. Oh, I had over 30 pros and they weren't the best professionals. Mm-hmm. And professionalism was a word. Um, so I wanted that environment. Be professional, be on time, do the right thing, be disciplined. Want to be the best you can be, blah, blah, blah. Give them the kind of training, coaching that would do that. And I had a staff that delivered that. And I couldn't believe it when it wasn't working. Yeah, yeah. You know, or games, uh, I lost 13 goals against, none for. I was pointless, clueless. They were the headlines. Mm-hmm. Thought I better change this quick. Mm-hmm. So I had to adapt. And fortunately, I think because of my experience with Jim and because of being a player in lower leagues, that, okay, uh, we're going to get out of this a different way. Yeah. Uh, build it a different way and became pragmatic. Um, two banks of four. Uh, four four one one, hard to beat. Clean sheets, win games one nil. Add Boxic up front who could score, 
Um, it was a nightmare to manage, but could score. And uh, we went through that season, boring, nil-nils, one-nils, one-nil losses, but managed to, to stay in the league. I managed to give myself time and another season in which to build. Mm, mm. That's that's very interesting. Like the, the idea at the start of a season versus what you have to do to be able to find success. I think that sort of adaptability, especially at the start, is is key because as, as players, as you've probably seen yourself, if somebody, as you've mentioned, if nobody, if the guy coming in doesn't have a reputation, doesn't have a career, isn't a Wayne Rooney or whatever, you're going to be looking at them funny to begin with. So then how do you, how do they win you over? And if they would continue to do something which doesn't seem to be working, like I've seen it myself and you've seen it yourself, like when things are going great in football, everybody can buy into the strategy. When things are going wrong, all of a sudden you might have 20 different ideas coming from people within a dressing room saying, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? This is how we should do it. That's how we should do it. And that's toxic. And again, to piggyback on something else that you said, that feeling of coming, knowing that you're going into work and feeling excited about it, that's one of the best things I felt about my job throughout my career. But the flip side of that coin are times when you don't look forward to going in there because you just, you've got this feeling, whether it's a dressing room thing, a results thing, managerial thing or whatever. And it's just, that's, that's hard. Like, you know, you still love the game. But when you stop looking forward to it, you know the situation's bad because training is, is essentially, you do that so often. Like that's what gets you through and ready for a Saturday through bits of fun or prep and things like that. But, um, right, so my listeners of the show, they know that there's one particular topic which I can't let go. And I've got another person on who can give me a great perspective about this, okay? So I think in 0304 with Borough, you made it to the UEFA Cup, I think, for the next season. Is that is that right? Does that ring any bells? I think three or four, we won the League Cup. Yes. Get into Europe, yeah. Okay. So that season anyway, when you're in Europe, it led to the last game of the season in 04 or 05 where you were playing against Man City, yeah? And for us at City, if we won, we'd get into the UEFA Cup. But if you guys didn't lose, you'd get into the UEFA Cup again, yeah? Yeah. So the game's going on. I remember Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank smashed one in off the crossbar from like 1,000 yards out. Hardest shot I've ever seen. Oh. <laughs> it's outrageous. And then I remember Mark Schwartz wasting all the time in the world. As soon as that happened, I was like, I was, this is my first season. I was thinking, this is really frustrating. But like, I don't know what to do because I'm brand new in this scene. But do you remember anything else from that game in particular? Um, gosh, I remember nearly having a fight with Stuart Pierce because he was a great <laughs> sideline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and winding our players up from the sideline. Um, I remember oh, wacky move. Wow. David James coming on. There you go. That's what I'm trying to get to. That's what I'm trying to get to. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't believe that. I yes. couldn't believe that's the one I wanted to get. I wanted to get your perspective on seeing a, a respective manager do something like that. Like how did you feel what were you thinking to yourself? I can't remember, but you you we, we were thinking, oh, they need a goal. They're going to take risks. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to win the game, so they're going to put the striker on. And you had one on the bench. Yes, John Macken, yeah. And I went, oh, they're going to put him on. And uh, and they were warming up. He wasn't, and, and GMR was warming up. And I'm thinking, oh, what's wrong with the goalie? There's nothing wrong with the goalie. And he put him on up front. Mm. And I was thinking... Oh my God! You know that scenario. I was thinking forward. Yeah. That gonna. You know what? It's such. It's such a move that you think he's gonna score. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna score. 
I just thought, what what if he scores? How does that look? Yeah. How does that look? Wow. So, I, I, the pressure then was was doubly on us. Yeah. And he's big, tall. Yeah. Thinking they're thinking of set plays. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, GMO could head one in it. Yeah. And we, we go out and we miss out because a goalie comes on. <laughs> He's going to look a genius and I'm going to look a mug. <laughs> but instead, the reverse happens. Because one thing which you didn't know at the time was that David James wasn't somebody who trained outfield or was good at set pieces or anything like that. He was just a human being that was now just outfield. Basically, like, it blew my mind. Because John Macken at the time, I think he was the second highest transfer in City history. And he <laughs> was on the bench and we needed a goal. And as no. well, for context, again... Like, sorry, to the listeners, I'm sorry, because I can't let this go. A shirt needed to be printed before the game, so he pre-planned it. Yeah. Like, where, I don't, I'd love to know where his mind was at to think that in the, this was, that was our biggest game of the season, because if we yeah. won, we get into Europe. At home, how, how would you think before the game that you should get a shirt printed for a goalkeeper to be able to come on outfield and play up front? before a ball's been kicked? I, th I thought it was one pre-planned. I thought, oh, you've been working on this and obviously the scenarios that you need to work on. <laughs> <No>. which, <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, they've actually they've actually must have looked at this, planned it, thought it's effective. Nope. Uh, but five, ten minutes, I went, oh, my God, he's, he's, in fact, he's more of a nuisance on the field. Yeah, exactly. And he was effective. <laughs> Yeah, it was, that was, so that was my introduction to professional football. That was the last game of my first season. And I'll, I'll never forget like an undying sort of memory. In, in fact, there were two and they both involve you actually. So the the first one was in that game when I was standing on the halfway line and we had a corner. I looked at Stuart Pearce, can I go for co-op? It was towards the end of the game and he said no. But Nicky Weaver was standing five yards ahead of me and David James was in the box on the other side. So it's probably the only player in history to have two of his own goalkeepers playing ahead of him. And then the other one, which I have to apologise about, was on the halfway line in the playoff final after Bobby Zamora scored because I saw that one going. But, you know, we'll get into that. Well, let's move on, actually. Let's move on. So anyway, anyway, talking about club, <laughs> talking about club moments. Talking about club moments. Um, your next managerial post in club football was in Holland with Twente. Yeah. And I'm curious as to why... You, did you, before all this, did you fancy managing abroad? Because it doesn't seem like a normal thing for a manager who is high profile to do. Like, why did that come about? Um, basically, I couldn't get a job in England. Um, obviously, because of what happened with England, uh, the last game, I was kind of um, an outcast, I suppose, in society. Mm. Uh, I couldn't get a job in England to to save my life. So... Really? Uh, the only option was to uh, to go to Holland. Mm. That was the only that was uh, the only club on the table. That's uh, do you know what? that sounds um, that sounds insane, especially because you know you went your last club sessions club period was with Middlesbrough, which was a very very significant period in their history, especially when you look at where they are now. So to then get to the theoretical pinnacle of English football management to manage the England side. You think that the step from there isn't one which means that you have to leave the country and be exiled. But then I'm looking back at previous England managers and most of them, where do they go after they've had that job? Like, is 
in fact, I don't I don't necessarily want to talk about England just yet. So let's let's um let's let's talk about say your time abroad. Then, how did you find the sort of footballing culture? Because you you also managed in Germany. Uh, you man- managed in the Bundesliga for was it Wolfsburg? Yeah. Like, how yeah. did you find the differences in so in the way that they approach football compared to say how you saw things in England? Yeah, look, listen, Holland was totally different. It, you know, I thought I thought I knew a bit about football and. Uh, you know, going to Holland and it's good reputation and everyone's a coach in Holland, players, managers, coaches, media, fans, everybody's an expert on football. Okay. And I went there very open-minded, uh, spoke to Bobby Robson, uh, the late Sir Bobby. And, um, he said, go there, son, go on your own. And so I went, um, I went and, and, it, it was strange. I was so lucky because I, one of my assistants, and here we go again with, you know, number two has been very important. Um, you know, I was there for first day, went to Holland, and we were training the next day for pre-season. And I met Eric, Eric Ten Hag, who's now the manager of Ajax. And um, Eric, you know, pre-season tomorrow, what, what have you got tomorrow? Just let me get my head around this tomorrow and then we'll 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 plan for the uh for the rest of the pre-season you know and he produced this folder um and the folder was was that thick mm. six weeks work all pre-season every minute of every day was logged wow. we we're doing uh when we we're having a drink how long we were drinking for oh and trainer there's 10 minutes slot there you can uh, you can have that you can do what you want in that. Uh, and then we do this, 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 and this. And it was unbelievable. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm. What it did was allow me to uh, observe and watch, not do much coaching, mm-hmm. and watched how they did things because they had a certain style, a certain way. It was the 20 way. And... Um, and I had to buy into that. And it was like going to back to Middlesbrough. I had to adapt in Middlesbrough. I had to adapt in Holland. Mm-hmm. So they weren't interested in uh, in what I thought. Okay. They, they weren't interested in English football. They thought English football was rubbish. Okay, okay. And I said, well, fine. Convince me that Dutch football is great. Mm-hmm. And they had a certain system, a certain way of playing, and a certain way of training. And it was fantastic. It was... From day one, you know, it was like going going really to finishing school. Yeah, and and oh oh, this is how football's meant to be played. <laughs> oh, oh, this is what possession football's all about. Mm-hmm. Periodization, methodology, all these terms and all these things which I heard, I thought I was experiencing, yeah. and I would learn it. So. I kept going, yeah, keep doing the same thing. And, and you know, after about five or six weeks, I realized the only thing that I could bring to the party was, you know, although the England manager's job uh, in England, um, you know, uh, isn't isn't glorified, it certainly is in Europe. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the reasons. So why have you chose me? And they said, well, you're the ex-England manager. That's what we wanted, that kind of status. Mm-hmm. And and so, 
you know, whereas I didn't have that respect in England, straight away going to Holland, I had that respect. Yeah. Um, as you rightly say, reaching the pinnacle gives you that kind of respect in other countries. Mm. And you're not, uh, you're not labelled so much as you are in, in England. So I, I went there as a kind of a front and a figurehead, um, taught them how to keep uh, clean sheets, mm. taught them how to win games. Um, so instead of thinking, well, we've won the game because we had 75% possession, but drew or lost, mm-hmm. we have to win the game. Mm-hmm. And so we married the two together. And, you know, I, I had games of football in uh, in Holland, which I've not experienced before and I've not experienced since. And that's even at Manchester United. Mm-hmm. We, we played some football, which possession football, won games, were strong, had great balance. And we had that dressing room of of leaders that wanted to win. And it was a fantastic experience, taught me everything I I wanted to know, and especially in terms of how they played in Mm 4-3-3. So I always say to coaches, know every system, but be an expert in maybe one, two or three. Mm Certainly in that two years, and then I spent two years after that as well. Um, I was an expert in four three three, the Dutch way, the Dutch way. Hey, absolutely, yeah, and it really was the Dutch way. The thing you said there um, about the being at the pinnacle of English management and how it's a, it's a bigger strength outside of England than it is in England, like that is really really alarming. And I will try and get back to that at some point. But okay, say after those years um, being on the continent, basically, with uh, Wolfsburg, with Twente. You then go and spend some time with Nottingham Forest and with Derby. And I'm going to be honest, the championship in England isn't exactly how a, a true comparison to how I see Dutch football. So again, how did you have to make that adjustment based on what you'd just been through previously in terms of what was ex- expected of you as a manager on the continent? What I'd learned in, in, in Holland and... And even took that to uh, to Germany because I know Van Gaal, who who'd won the championship my first year I was there with RZ, moved to Bayern Munich, took Dutch fo- football over there and won the league with Bayern Munich, and they wanted me the next year for Wolfsburg, and I expected that they wanted me to bring Dutch football to to Germany like Van Gaal had done. Um, and it didn't quite work at Wolfsburg. It's different personnel, different characters, and so I had to adapt there, and didn't adapt to it very, very well, really. So, um, so it it was, it was just. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> the the question was: How did you adapt to coming back to playing? out of managing a team in the championship in England after experiencing something so different on the continent? I wanted to, I wanted for my experiences, I thought, will that work? Will that work? The Dutch way, will that work in England? And you know, I was with, I was with you for, um, for three months. Yeah. Um, with, with with Harry and you know that was again adapting because we had good players mm. good good people and it was trying to find a system which would actually be simple and work and we kind of found that system and and we played some decent football yes. I remember in the yeah. 10 games yeah. we played we got playing some great football I remember Robert Green he's chipping the ball into <laughs> Joey 
in midfield. And yeah. I'm thinking, you know, and I, naturally with this talent, mm. I thought it can work. And, and Harry wanted to see good football, so he didn't mind. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there was some great football in there. And then Derby County came knocking and I'd watched them. I'd watched them quite a bit beforehand and I watched them against Yeovil. I always remember one clip and they had 26 passes and finished with a fantastic move and Chrissy Martin scored on the 26th pass and uh, and someone phoned me wanting me to take over this team and I thought, you know what, I think with these I can actually play football. Mm. Because there's not many teams you can take over with the talent of QPR yeah. or with the potential of Derby County in terms of wanting to play this, not total football, but certainly play football, mm-hmm. uh, build up possession from the back, patience, etc. Quite effective in the final third with a front three, front four, if you've got number 10 or two eights. Um, so as soon as I saw that, I went... And, and straight from the first game, um, I kind of knew. Wow! And and I and you know one of one of the best things I I think some of the games we played, uh, obviously not the, not the final, but some of the games we played, we played excellent football. Yeah, opponents and played different, and that's what I was more proud of than actually winning football matches was the performance of the team, mm-hmm. and it got us results. Yeah. I think I'm a big person who thinks that, you know, going into a game, if you try and control your performance, there's a likelihood that in time you'll get enough good results based around it. Obviously, it helps to be able to not play well and win. But for most teams, a focus on performance is a bigger thing. And the performances, as you mentioned there, during my six and a half years at QPR, I think from that, from the start of the 13, uh, 20, 13, 14 season till after you left, that was the best football that I, I took part in during my time at QPR. It was special because yeah. I remember games where like we had 600 passes. Tom Carroll had like 110 of them. You know, we were controlling games, scoring goals, but we weren't conceding goals either. Like it, we felt great. And to be honest, we kind of tumbled into the playoffs and that obviously met you guys in the final. And it was a, it was a weird feeling that one because we knew that Derby basically for that whole year, you were probably in charge of some of the best football in the championship because we were doing it at the start and you guys were doing it at the end. Yeah. So then to be yeah. coming up against you in the final with a younger team. Yeah. Like, and we had the, we had that thing, which you've mentioned before, we just had the faces and people within that dressing room. And as it turned out for that game, it was a million miles away from being our best performance. But with the people we had in, it ended up being our biggest result because we could have gone under because the pressure was being applied and so on. But like for you then, what were you, what is there anything you do differently on that day? Do you have any regrets or is it just a case of that's just what it was on that moment? No, that's just what it was. Look, you and uh, you and Dunny won the game for them without the shadow of a doubt. You, you defended that box for your lives. Mm. We couldn't get through. We had one or two opportunities, chances, half chances, mm. Robert Green saves. But the key to the key to everything about winning, you know, is you're back four. Yeah. You, you and, you know, the... You were just immense, immense, um, and and I knew even going you going down to ten men, which this is going to be hard to break down. Yeah, and I was planning for extra time, and and I just knew we'd win the game in extra time. Yeah, just we just had the right people on the on the park at the time. Yeah, 
And and it was a case of just seeing out the 90 minutes, which I was fine about, and I was totally okay. And, and knowing that, okay, we might win it in uh, in uh, normal time, but extra time, we will win it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't believe it. It was just one of them things. Yeah. I think experience, and I wouldn't even say experience beaters on the day, but certainly you you and, uh, and Danny I put down to were immense that game. You just everything that went in the box. You're headed clear. You're blocked. Um, you know, I always say, defend the box for your lives. Yeah. Uh, you with Greeny at the back, behind you, you. We just couldn't. We couldn't get that clear cut opportunity to uh, to do it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. If you went to extra time, I think you probably would have been cooked. But then it's just one of those things which summed up our second half of that season. An opportunity came, and we managed to take it, and we were able to hold on to it. Because as I say, we weren't controlling games in that second half of the season. We were we were just finding ways to win games or to not lose games based on the experience that we had. And like I say, it ended up being a, a great day for us. But something that still blows my mind, and it's interesting that you're still at Derby now, is that the club still haven't made it back to the Premier League yet. Like since two, like 2008 was the last time. And for a team that always f- seems to be up there, what, what do you reckon's caused that? Um... Forcing and not building. Okay, in what sense? Um, I, I looked at teams at that stage, um, and I was quite interested because uh, three of the teams stick out in terms of uh, Burnley, um, Bournemouth, Leicester, they, uh, Brighton. These were teams that were always in and around the top six every season. Mm-hmm. Um, missed out, held on to their philosophy, held on to the manager, and after three or four years, Chris Hewton got them up, Nigel Pearson got Leicester up, uh, Burnley, Daishi. They stuck with with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They had a formula, and they stuck with it. And even though it failed them, they knew that they would grow and grow and get there. Bournemouth are a perfect example of that. In terms of when they they got promotion, steadied, and I I thought wow, and I really admired them for for sticking with uh, with Eddie Howe, even when they failed sometimes. But they they got up, and and I said we didn't do that, you know. We we straight away okay for whatever reason we missed out on the on the playoffs the the following season. We were top of the league halfway through, fell off a cliff, many injuries, as you really know that. Mm-hmm. Little injuries can disrupt your season like that, um, and and got rid of me. Then got somebody else, and then got somebody else, and then kept changing the philosophy. Then kept changing the players, and then kept changing too much. So they 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 went from from chasing it. They went they went from you know instead of being patient and building, so they could have built on what we had. They ah. Now we'll chase it, mm. and they through through you know money and budgets and trying to get better players, championship players, and very good players. But as you know, it's the team that gets through. It's yeah. the team that yeah. it's the gel. It's the, and and you know there were many big players, and they, but there weren't the right the right characters. They've never built anything. Yeah, you've built to uh, to progress. Yeah. 
that's that's so interesting because there's so many teams within that division who are probably guilty of that. You know, they're chasing, 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 but then lo and behold, it ends up being the toughest league to get out of. You know, some teams come they don't you don't expect it, they'll come from nowhere, but then a lot of others who are hanging there or thereabouts, but they just never seem to be able to cross the line. I'm sure the time will come, but yeah, it's been a while. So to talk about um the career after your time at Derby. I think you would agree that you've probably not spent as long as you would have liked at some of the other clubs which you've which you've gone on to manage again, whether it was back at Derby, whether it was at QPR, whether it was at Newcastle. And during those times where, you know, you face the disappointment of not being a long-term appointee somewhere or appointment yeah. somewhere, do you ever, you personally and just managers in general, do you ever doubt yourself? Or do you always, if you ever leave a position, you know why it is and you try and take that into the next job so that it doesn't happen again? Yeah, of course you do. Um, and, and circumstances, circumstances, ownership, up above, politics, whatever, um, can always get in the way. And it, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. They haven't lasted long enough. And, you know, there are different stages to when you form a team. Mm. You know, you're, you're forming, forming, storming and norming, you know? Mm. So you're forming, you get everybody together, staff, players, and everything like that. Then, then you're forming, and this is where the problem is. This is where the problem lies. This is where you get disappointments and and infighting and conflict. It's great in forming because everything's new, and you get successes, and you get and you ride the storms. And then when you come to to really really forming, that's when they're that's when the barriers hit when you you get conflict and you get people disappointed and you you know they're just and and you've got to get through that stage as a manager you've got to get enough results to get through that stage as a manager and mm. then you the end to norman which is you know it's it's a little bit like you know i talk about the you know you'll know it through the qpr season at the beginning it was forming it was a nightmare wasn't it yeah so many it was forming. It was forming, and then it was. It, it was forming. Then it was storming. That's the middle section. Storming. That was core conflicts, wasn't there? Mm. So many conflicts going on, and somehow we we got a team together and mm. a big part of that. And and Joey conformed and came back on board, and yeah, you know, we got settled, and and Harry did a great job in getting rid of those who were storming too much mm. and. He, and then we were into forming, and we formed a team that that was cohesive, that that went on, and and that's what I always, and I never got past that storming stage. I wasn't allowed to get past that storming stage mm -hmm. to get forming. Yeah, uh, that's the frustrating thing for me. It takes time to build. Yeah, and as what I want to do, you know, it takes patience and time. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, um, you know, people don't have that nowadays. And I think, you know, fans, um, and I think because of my England history, mm. I'm given a shorter span of time to get things right than maybe someone who's allowed more time because of their background. It just, I like, that. that is the case. I can hear that. I can hear that. I can see that, especially looking back at times, because it's not, I'm not going to say that, say, you were performing great and then people, then you lost your job or anything like that. And I don't think you'd admit to that yourself, but it seems insane that having been an England manager is actually a curse in the country in which it happened. 
because that should be the highest accolade because not many have achieved that, especially in my lifetime in particular, because sometimes that's been given to people who aren't even from England themselves. So for an Englishman to be in charge of England and however it goes, you were once deemed to be good enough to lead the nation. So why is it not something where people will give you time? Like what do you, why do you reckon that is? Um, I think it's just society. Uh, it's just the mentality, you know, and I think it happens in, you know, I've been in Holland, I've been in Germany, you know, and, 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 and the build is just as bad in Germany, the newspaper there, mm. as the, the Telegraph is in, um, in Holland um, and everybody gets criticised. So it's the same in every country. Mm. And you'll find that with Dutch coaches, you know, the you know, if they fail at um, international level, you know, they they are they do have a hard time. They do get jobs, but they do have a hard time, mm-hmm. and it's all brought back. So, you know, that's not that's not any problem. You know, would I do it all again? Have I had any regrets regrets about that? No, I was offered the job. How could I turn the job down? Mm-hmm. Might never happen again. Mm-hmm. Or so, so I did it, and I think in in one respect, there's always a yin and a yang, and one respect it's been great because my reputation and I've traveled the world um you know and got opportunities because I've been the ex-England manager mm-hmm. um in here I th- in, in England I think it's been tougher it's been tougher than than you know people who who haven't managed for England mm-hmm. who haven't that um and and the key thing was that we we failed to qualify so you yeah. know that's and, and I take that and I understand it 100%, um, you know, because I've been a fan myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it's you, it's a wee bit different. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But with that being said, though, for people taking the job as England manager, like what does, say, in fact, is it even possible? What's, what does universal success feel like? What is that where you can have fans, say, the FA and say the media what is success for an England manager because I I struggle sometimes because I kind of see it from a player's perspective and I see it from the perspective of the reality of what English football is because for my lifetime England have had some of the best players in the world but the national team itself hasn't been at the top table even though they like to think that they have so why is it that I hear people expecting England to be at the top table you know like how do what is what is the what is success for an England manager? Would you say overall? I think I think I was doing it now. I think it's a whole new era, and you, you will know being involved in in say the last ten years, and I and I know from the FA because being involved with them even since England, and knowing what they were doing, you know what what Jed Roddy was doing with the E Triple P with the Premier League, introducing that into academies and monitoring and making sure the standard of coaching was there, um, and the FA joining in with that with with Dan Ashworth, but Gareth was there right at the beginning as head of development in schools and grassroots. That started ten years ago, and we're developing players now. I just felt well, when I was with, involved with England, we were we were good. We were good, and we were always in with a chance of, of winning a tournament, mm. um, but for penalties and incidents, which are normal in knockout football. But th- we always lacked technique. 
we always lacked physicality, speed and technique. And what we've developed over the next, last 10 years through the EPPP, through the FA, through working academies, through coaches, is we are now producing players who have got fantastic technique. Yeah. I always used to think we struggled in tight areas. Mm. It's Spain and, you know, Argentina's people, tight areas, they just got out of it like that. Yeah. We could never get out of tight areas. We always played in straight lines. Yeah. We've developed that now so we can play in tight areas. We've got quality technical players. We've got speed. Mm -hmm. And we've got technical know-how because they've been taught this in the academies. Mm -hmm. Everything in our game, the four cornerstones, have been improved. And I think we were good in all four cornerstones, but we weren't the best. Yeah. Now I think we're one of the best. Once we win something, and I think the key thing what Gareth has done is brought everybody together. We were always divided with England. Yes, yes. Is our media and yeah. fans were and fans were fickle because sometimes they go with the media, sometimes with the players. Yeah. Uh, now I think everybody's on the same page. Mm -hmm. Players have changed. Players are different. You will know that. Yes. I think the whole mood has changed. Mm -hmm. I think it's uh, it, it's more. Gareth has created a more civilized yes. environment yes. for players, mm -hmm. for for staff, and there's lots of staff mm -hmm. for media, and he's brought the fans back on board yeah. through through performances and winning. Yeah. Yeah, you know, sure. that's been planned for ten years. Yeah, credit to him. Credit to him, and I, I know I respect it a lot. But there is still the there is still somewhat of an unhappy undertone again, that goes against sort of the reality of the situation because I, I think in this last tournament in Euro 2020, after they beat Croatia in the first game, I thought, oh, that's great, it's a great start. And then when somebody says that's the first time England have won their opening game at Euros in history, I was like, no, that, that can't be true. That can't mm -hmm. be true. Not on, based on our expectations where people saying England have to go and win it. So you're telling me this is the first time they've won a Okay, right. All right, fair enough. So that that's really where we're at, as opposed to where we feel we're at. But yeah, yeah. credit credit to him. But I just I just worry that for him, for the good job that I think he's doing, people are still always on the hunt for fault. And that England manager's job at the very top, as is kind of the case for say England's number one goalkeeper or something like that, you're just one nudge away from tumbling. And and it's not like. No, it might not be one person nudging. It might be the collective, and then you'll be getting destroyed on the way down. And it's just, it's, just, it's a shame because it feels like who really benefits if you within your own country are criticizing the people who are doing their best to try and get success for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's it's normal, Adam. <laughs> it's normal. It's you know, unfortunately, it's normal. You know, I, I, I go back. We were doing great. Then we played Croatia away. Gary Neville does a back pass. He bobbles off yeah. a bit of turf, bounces over Robbo's foot into the goal. We lose the game. Mm. What? What? You know? And all of a sudden, from that, I'm on the real back foot. Yeah. And it took me a while to recover from that. So, little things like that. You're absolutely right. And you know the way they they criticised the the Scotland performance. Yeah. You know, it, I'm thinking, oh my god, you know, we, is, were, yeah. <laughs> we were we go from hero to zero. Yeah. Um, but that's just the mentality, and you have to deal with that and cope with that. The reality is, is within that dressing room, mm -hmm. is it four walls, 
and and the performance of the team and and the planning that goes into it. But you're always you're absolutely right. Whether you're a club or international manager, you're one decision, one bobble, you're one moment away from, like you say, you know, with with, with Stuart Pearce and Man City. You know, I looked at that. What did I do on the bench? When you got that penalty, Robbie Fowler's about to take it. You're going to win the game two one. I'll yeah. put my Robbie Fowler yeah. from a pe- from a penalty, mm-hmm. but a more. Yeah, and I'm sorry, you know, I'm saying uh, my future is now in this one moment. Mm-hmm. He saved it. We went through to Europe. We got to Europe final. Yes. I end up the manager. That's how we defining moments. So really, you need to thank Stuart Pearce. Then is what you're trying to say. no that's 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 so cool and that's everything there is is so so interesting because it is a very very tough job and i don't envy anybody from doing it because everybody like when we talked before about say players having opinions when things are going wrong you know as an england manager when you've got the whole nation having opinions about who should be playing who shouldn't be playing how to win how to do this how you should how the players should feel like my prime example of the sort of two separate worlds because you said it's the dressing room and then it's stuff on the outside was when and if Sam Lee's listening to this this is for you um when somebody asked Raheem Sterling after the first game if he justified his position in the team because he scored a goal and Raheem's like looking at thinking what you're talking about because for someone like Raheem having been in those sort of setups building up to tournaments he might have been in the team for the month beforehand in terms of everything they've been doing training wise he's booked in locked in no concerns he's not there's no training ground debate about whether Raheem's going to play. Raheem's going to play. Yeah. And all the debates, external. So when you throw that external thing on him, you're like, I'm looking like, what, what did they think that he was tuning into the radio to be hearing the debates about whether he's starting or not? Was he, was he on the, was he checking the internet to see if he was going to be starting in the game that's coming up against Croatia? It's like, no. I know. It's like, I don't know. I can't, I can't get over that one. That one just blew my mind. That blew my mind. But I'm I'm going to I'm going to leave that cuz I've kept you for ages anyway. And so <clears throat> as I say the England thing has affected you not qualify England not qualifying for the Euros that year. That's you'd say that's affected sort of the next stage of your um of your managerial career. So as you find yourself here at the age of 60 20 years in, what do you want to achieve from the next 20 years? Should you want to manage for that long? Yeah, do I want to manage for that long? Oh dear, do I want to manage again? Do I, you know? Um, I always thought I had Morris Evans when I was at Oxford. I always remember the first day, passed me badges, didn't know what to do, got the youth coach's job and Morris comes in and he becomes my mentor. And Morris was about 60 at the time and he was a scout and he was in football and knew everybody, he was you know, journeyman. And he was fantastic to me. And I always thought, God, I'd, I'd love to be, because I was 30, 30 at the time, I'd love to still be in football when I'm 60, 65, in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Because you know, it's an unbelievable game to yeah. be in football. Sure. Whether that's as a, a player, coach, manager, media, mm-hmm. which involved in games and involved in an opinion. But it's a fantastic game. And... You, it, it's enveloped us for, for since we were kids, since we were kids, you know, and, and, and I've realised many, many dreams, you know, since I was a kid, I wanted to play at Wembley, you know, I, I got to a cup final with Manchester United, albeit as a coach. Mm-hmm. I, I got the, I got Albert, the, the kit man, 
get a bag of balls, put some gloves on Albert, get in that goal at Wembley. All the players had gone off for a warm-up. They'd gone in. And I had I had the balls to myself and Albert's kept throwing them out. I'm, I'm dribbling, I'm fainting by people. I'm shooting top corner. Albert can't save a thing. Wow. I'm thinking, I've died and gone to heaven. Wow. You know, I'm at the new camp and, and we've just won the treble and I'm sat at one side of the stadium, sat down looking, going, oh my God. There's, there's like 75,000 Manchester United fans who've just won the, Euro the European Cup unbelievably in injury time with two goals. I've died and gone to heaven. Yeah. So in terms of football, you know, player, coach, man, I've died and gone to heaven a few times. Yeah. Believe you me, I've died and gone to hell quite a few times as well. Mm. That's football. Yeah. That's football. And all it teaches you is... To stay in it, you've got to have resilience. Yeah, and and that's the key thing. You've got to you've got to have a passion, otherwise it don't work. You've got to be able to get up in the morning. And people say to me, "What's mental toughness?" I say, "Mental toughness is getting beat seven 0 at Arsenal mm. on Saturday, having to get the players in on Sunday, explain why you got beat seven 0 and prepare them and tell them they're going to win on Tuesday, where they got a game against Liverpool and Anfield." <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so true yeah that's uh, for a player for a yeah. staff manager that's mental toughness yeah and and it gives you so many things that it's such a life that to still be involved and and, and what i do now I, I give back a lot more yeah i think all i want to do i, I share experiences because you know what Someone said to me, yeah, what would you do? What would you say to the young Steve McLaren at 21, you know, or 31 starting coaching again, you know? I said, do no different. Do no different. Do the right thing. It's the only thing I would say. There's no rules. There's no rules at Manchester United. Mm -hmm. No rules. Just do the right thing. If you're late, you know it's wrong. If you didn't do that, you know it's wrong. If you did that, you knew it was right or wrong. So just do the right thing. Mm -hmm. That was I used to say, just do the right and pay the consequences if you don't do the right thing. And that's all he did. Didn't do the right thing. Consequences of this. So as long as you've got that, then stay in the game and just be involved. And now I try to give something something back into uh, into football and, and managers, players or whatever. And and I've still got a passion for, for coaching, as you know. Mm. That's that's when I come alive. Mm -hmm. Cross that line, players come alive. I cross the white line, and as a coach, I come alive, and I'm on stage, and you have to perform. Yeah. Um, and that's what I like doing. And yeah. lose the energy not to do that. I'll stop doing it. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, I expect to see you in 20 years' time, still managing somewhere or coaching somewhere, because you, you do love it. You do love it. But yeah, it's it's been it's been a pleasure, it's been an honor. And in that three months where we worked together, like I say, that I enjoyed that time at QPR probably more than any other because it was the best football we've ever played. And I think you were a good fit for Harry because at times Harry can be very, very dour and negative. But I think you came in at that time and you gave us a different perspective. And I think that without that section in the season, I don't think we would have made it up to the Premier League for the next year. So there's my compliment to you. Hope you enjoyed it. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And you, Nadine, you work so bad yourself. Ah, cheers, cheers, <laughs> cheers. I appreciate that. We'll take it easy, sir. Speak to you soon. Cheers, Nadine. Bye. Thanks.
So there you have it. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to let me know what you thought about Steve, today's episode, and the effect a job at international level can have on your career. The handle, like always, is kickback underscore Nadem, and links to me can be found in the show notes. And lastly, thank you to producer Ryan Hale for making all of this possible. And sorry, one more thing. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't done so already, as there is plenty more to come. Bye for now.